Welcome back to Butterless Popcorn, the podcast where we analyze our favorite movies through a series of outlandish questions. I'm Brett Tworski. I'm Adam Ottenheimer. This movie, as you just said, is so relatable to us. There are legitimately groups of people, I'm sure, that think of Robert De Niro almost as a comedic actor. This movie, in 2004, she was only 18, but she was an international superstar. Everyone knew who Lindsay Lohan was. Borden is, is Tim Duncan, but then, yes. you know, James Harden is kind of like that Angier. The other one is Mikowski. Oh, that's a hot take! I can't wait to rewatch it and to talk to you about that, that atrocious yet incredible movie for an hour. Welcome back to Butterless Popcorn. Today we are talking about an impeccable film, quite frankly. Back to the Future, 1985. Before we dive into these, before I, before we dive into this, excuse me, um, Adam, you've said many times throughout your life. I've known you for for decades now. You've uh, you've been on the record saying this is one of, if not your favorite films of all time. So I want to ask you before we get into the production, the writing, the casting, our categories, everything. What does this movie mean to you? I want to be smiling the entire time we're doing this show. You're just going to see like a grin on my face the whole time. For some reason, and I want to say it was probably like 10, 15 years ago, I first saw this movie and I was like, this is fucking incredible. (laughs) My brother, this has been his favorite movie. And I think it's such an easy watch, no matter how old you are whether you're a high schooler, because it's technically a high school movie, whether you're a high schooler, um, even if you're younger than that, it's it's super easy to watch and get into. And it's got like the perfect amount of like science fiction in it, but it doesn't get too like nerdy, you know? Right. So it's like, I, I just, it gets me every time. And I love the movies where you watch it and every single time you watch it, you pick up something new for it. You know, like we, we've talked about a couple of those before and this one really feels that way for me. And I I told you, I've probably seen it like 40, 50 times, but every yeah. single time, I mean, even when I watched it the other day, just pick up all this new stuff. It's incredible. Me too. And I don't know, I, I tend to repeat things on these podcasts. I've probably said that movies are impeccable before, but... This one really is. This movie is is as close to perfect as they come. So written by acclaimed director Robert Zemeckis and screenwriter Bob Gale. Um, Back to the Future, if you haven't seen it, listeners, uh, I don't know why you'd be listening to this either way, but it's about Marty McFly, a teenager who travels back in time accidentally from 1985 to 1955, where he interacts with his then teenage parents and risks his own life and existence in doing so. It's such a clever plot. As you said, Adam, it has that great blend of, of comedy and sci-fi that was pretty rare then and is pretty rare now. And I love the way this story came to fruition, just the concept of it in general, because it's so unique. So Bob Gale, who lived in California, was vid- was visiting his parents one day in St. Louis, and he was just skimming through his dad's old high school yearbook. And he was like, huh. I wonder if dad and I would have been friends if we went to school together. And that is what sparked the idea for this movie. And then he brought that idea to, to Zemeckis 
And then Zemeckis had another thought of, oh, about a mother claiming she never kissed a boy when she was at school, when she in fact had been promiscuous. And both of those ideas are so tied into the film. It's it's just genius in the way they kind of put this together. It's so creative. That's what's so good, too, is like we've all kind of wondered, like, what were my parents like? You know, like always. What? always. I always think about that. It's just like something that pops into my head unwillingly yeah, I don't know, it just does. And yeah no idea no idea but this is the way to find out but i mean to reiterate the point like it's not only is it not too science fictiony but like you know there's suspense in here and there's some serious aspects to it but it never crosses the line to where you're really freaking out or anything there's comedy like you said you're not laughing too hard ever you're just you're in a good state of mind the whole way and you just go through this journey of really marty and doc but i mean how can you not fall in love with these two first of all they have no business being friends i have no idea <laughs> what they're friends say say save it save it for the movie farts save it for the movie I, I will farts. but 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 they are so fun to just follow along with so i think it's great and we were talking about this a little bit before we we started airing but the casting and the the troubles that they went through to get into this, you know, into this final product where, you know, Michael J. Fox was the guy that they wanted from the start. And how many times do we read something where, you know, you got a guy that they wanted for the start and then there's a little bit of trouble getting that guy, you know? And, yeah. and, and he was tied up doing, um, what is it? Family ties. Yep. He was, so he was doing family ties the whole time. And the producers of that would not let him film Back to the Future. So he's literally working nine to five doing family ties. And then I, f- I forgot what times they said, but it was like six to two a.m. Insane. Yeah. I, like, absolutely. Like, so once they agreed to let him come on after a whole bunch of shit, what did it say? They said his hours were like he would work on family ties in the morning through the early evening and then from like 630 to 2 a.m. He would do Back to the Future. That is the most rigorous schedule I've ever heard of in my life. And it's not a movie where you can just sit back. I mean, it's it's high energy. He's writing skateboards. Oh, yeah. You know, he's working on the weekends too. But they were saying he was like falling asleep like half the time on oh, set. But that's how good MJF was, man. It's pretty insane. So about that casting. So as you said, Fox was the first choice to play McFly. But since there was that initial conflict with the producers of Family Ties, Zemeckis and Gale had to look elsewhere. So they had a few options. They had C. Thomas Howell, who was really big in The Outsiders a few years before, and Eric Stoltz, who was had a minor role in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And he also played Rocky Dennis in The Mask, not the Jim Carrey film, The Mask. Uh, this was the other one about the kid with the deformed face. Can't and, go on podcast without talking about Jim Carrey, right? <laughs> Guess that. They also considered John Cusack and even Johnny Depp auditioned for the role of Marty, but they went with Stoltz. And this is one of the more controversial stories of casting I've ever read, really. After about a few weeks of filming, Zemeckis fired him. Yeah. And and they and they he completely got rid of him and they decided to recast Marty. I mean, you can go on YouTube, go on the internet and search Eric Stoltz Back to the Future. There are there's like video clips. And there's pictures of Eric Stoltz in all of these scenes that you know in Back to the Future that you see Michael J. Fox in. And it's pretty crazy. So apparently Zemeckis just thought Stoltz just plain was not funny and that he was 
really dramatic and mm-hmm. kind of almost used like a method acting technique to play Marty. And then they also said they all they thought Fox had a more natural Marty McFly persona, whereas Stoltz was just trying too hard to play the performance. And then they also said Stoltz was uncomfortable riding a skateboard, which, yeah. you know, Fox was essential at that. Deal Pretty insane. <laughs> I mean, they got they completely got rid of him. And so then once Fox's schedule opened back up in January of 85, and granted, the movie was supposed to come out like in like five months. So just a few months before, and they made a deal with Family Ties finally for Fox to work on them simultaneously, and then he had that crazy schedule that we talked about. But you know, then it was just seamless from there, and and uh, Michael J. Fox loved the script, and he actually said later in an interview that quote All I did in high school was skateboard, chase girls, and play in bands. I even dreamed of being a rock star. So he was the perfect choice for Marty McFly. Thank God Zemeckis came to his senses and fired Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz is a fine actor. You know, he was amazing as, I don't know if you remember, the, the drug dealer in Pulp Fiction when they have to resuscitate Uma Thurman oh, and he's him. dealing the heroin okay. to Travolta. Yeah, he's, he's had a good career. But if I may... Yeah, it's not him. Well, it's it's not him. It's not him. Michael J. Fox was absolutely perfect for this. And thank God Zemeckis fired Stoltz. Yes, seriously. I mean, it was a natural role for him. What, what I really found interesting was how height played into this so yeah. Zemeckis is what six one or six two I forgot what it was and Marty or Marty McFly Michael J Fox is only <laughs> five five and so there were a couple things that had to come of that so one Christopher Lloyd and I want to get to in a second who was also in the running oh, baby. for Doc Brown because it cracks me up <laughs> your favorite guy <laughs> my your favorite, favorite guy, guy. But <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is six one but he's mm. got like a little hunch and he, and he kind of leans over a little bit, and they're like, this is perfect. <laughs> like, Marty's only 5'5". Five, five. This will play perfectly. <laughs> so they love that. And then the other thing was that um, Ballora Hardin was was going to be Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. But she was also pretty tall. And so when, when it lined up with Stoltz, it was fine, because Stoltz was a taller guy. It worked out. But there was this you know perception and this idea that you couldn't have anyone you know, way taller than than the male leading character in this one. And so uh, they originally uh, so they originally had Melora Hardin and then they uh, replaced her and it just it just worked out from there. But I, it, I thought it was interesting how much they thought about how much of the height really played into this. That is really funny. I, speaking of the height, I read something and I didn't write this down about Biff. And so one of the and the actor who played i think biff's friend skinhead we don't actually hear his name but like one of the bullies in his friend in his group of friends was that actor was supposed to play biff um and that was when marty uh michael j fox was originally supposed to be marty mcfly but then once stoltz came on since stoltz was taller they wanted someone who was taller to play biff and so that's that's when what's his um, uh, Hannon came in, and uh, is that his name? I didn't write that down. I don't B- remember. Biff Tannen's character. Biff, T- well, Tan- oh, Tan, well, Tannen. No, I know Tannen. Thomas F. Wilson is uh, Thomas F. Wilson. I don't know why I said that. It rhymed. Who is? Ha- I was gonna let Hannon? you roll with it. I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, so he was taller, but then so that's why the height differences between Biff and Marty in the actual film are so 
insane. I mean, Biff is a, this towering inferno, and Marty's this short guy, but it works beautifully. So I, I do want to touch on the one other casting call for who, who could have been Doc Brown, but lost to Christopher Lloyd, and that's our boy Jeff Goldblum. This guy is pretty funny. You know, we have later in the show, we have a little casting call segment where we go through who we want to potentially replace one of the stars in the uh, one of the characters in the movie. And I was thinking, boy, Jeff Goldblum, man, I I could see him as a Doc Brown. <laughs> He's and always... then you read and then you read that he was casted. Well, then I read that he auditioned. I was like, oh fuck, okay, I can't pick him anymore. <laughs> but it's such a Jeff Goldblum role. I'm, I mean, I'm obviously glad. Christopher Lloyd played it perfectly. Wouldn't change a thing, but be a little pumped to see Jeff Goldblum in there. I'm not gonna lie, I'd like to see that too. That it's interesting because. Jeff Goldblum is super charismatic in a lot of his performances, like in Independence Day and Jurassic Park. He's that nerdy guy who's like kind of goofy and always saves the day. That's kind of what that's what Doc Brown is. But at the same time, Christopher Lloyd brings a certain energy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like I, I don't know, I don't know if if Jeff Goldblum can get that loud. He, he's fidgety too. Which I right, love. Right. You know, Christopher Lloyd's always moving around, always he's very demonstrative as well, where Jeff Goldblum, he can be that way, but I also always imagine him as a little bit more collected in his right. in his thoughts and stuff. So I, I'm with you. I, I love the craziness of Doc there. Same. And actually John Lithgow was the first choice to play Doc. But then he became unavailable, so Lloyd beat out Jeff Goldblum for the role. And then Lloyd actually didn't want the role at first, but then changed his mind after reading the script, and then his wife egged him on to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Lloyd. We are forever indebted to you. She's the real hero here. Um, one more casting I need to get into, because this is kind of important, not only for the first movie, but for the two sequels that came after. So Crispin Glover played George McFly. George, I mean, it, it's, it's really up in the air because all these characters are so good. But George is one of, if not my favorite characters in this movie. His he, he's so he's so fidgety and he's so anxious and he's so insecure and he's just that lonely teenager and he plays it perfectly. And but there was a lot of controversy with Crispin Glover on the set of this film and he wasn't in Back to the Future's parts two and three. There was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. Apparently Glover took issue with the plot in general. He actually had an issue with the ending saying that he didn't like that the characters had, you know, a, a monetary reward in the ending, like how Marty actually has the truck, for example, because it basically makes the moral of the film that money equals happiness. I don't know what the <laughs> hell he's really talking about there, but um, I, there were a lot of issues with Crispin Glover. He wasn't in the sequels. So this was a, a one-off for him, but he is unbelievable as George McFly. So good. And we'll get to Mount Rushmore later, but I mean, like you said, perfect performance, and it makes you feel. I mean, we talked about it in the beginning, but you're you're curious what your parents are like, and then you see this, and you're like, well, what a nightmare, because my dad is an absolute loser. But just every, I mean, the kick me sign on the back of him too. He's got oh everything God, yeah. going for him. It's great. So, besides the casting issues with Marty, there were a lot of production issues with the script as well. So Zemeckis and Gale actually sold the idea 
to Columbia Pictures in 1980, and this movie didn't come out until 1985. So over the course of those four and a half years, there were there was a lot of shit going on, um, and they finally got Steven Spielberg on board as a producer, um, and then things started to come into fruition about a year before, and there were some tweaks made to the initial script, like a huge one. The time machine was initially supposed to be a refrigerator, and, and 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 Marty was gonna have to use the power of an atomic explosion to return home. So then, apparently, Zemeckis again came to his senses and changed the fridge to a car, which was the DeLorean. Once he realized that kids who watched the movie might actually lock themselves in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell is that? that? This is like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That that would be absurd. There's, if you kept the movie the exact same, but changed one thing, and that's replacing the DeLorean with like a GE fridge. This movie sucks. It's it's you're right. It's not a good. It's not a good movie. It's more as you said. It's more like Bill and Ted's. The DeLorean and the beauty of the car. And the action scenes with the car. It's one of the biggest components of this movie and why it's so great. You're you're spot on with that. I, I love, too, how Spielberg, I think this was his, his vision, but Zemeckis played it out perfectly, how the science fiction parts, the parts where the car goes back into the future, it gives you just enough to know that something is happening, but you don't see this, like, really bad production level stuff of time travel occurring you know you don't see them going through this weird uh like space warp time warp or whatever to get through that you know there's a lot of like weird things that go on in some of these movies where it's like okay you lost me here and back to the future toes that line perfectly and to do it with a delorean is so incredible now every time i see a delorean i think i this is a side note, but when we were at Indiana, I think there was one day they had like a DeLorean on campus, and for some reason, I was so I was busy and I couldn't I get think to go. I, see. Remember. I was so pissed. I, th- I so think I remember I you being really pumped about wanting to see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I just yeah, this seems familiar to me. I think it was the That's day Bernie funny. Sanders was in town or something. So we <laughs> oh, might have been. Looking back on it, I'd probably rather go see the DeLorean than Bernie Sanders. One hundred percent. A couple, a couple smaller tweaks that were made to the initial script. So, uh, co-producer Sidney Scheinberg suggested Marty's mother's name, which was originally Meg, be changed to Lorraine, after the name of his wife, actress Lorraine Grain, who was the wife in Jaws. Podcast we just there did. There you go. Another thing they changed Brown's name from Professor Brown to Doc Brown. Einstein was supposed to be a chimpanzee instead of a dog, which I love Einstein the dog, but to be honest, I I feel like I would kind of like Einstein the chimpanzee. I could mess around with it, sure. Yeah. And then finally, one more big one, and thank God this didn't actually happen. So Scheinberg also wanted to change the title of the movie from Back to the Future to Spaceman from Pluto, <laughs> convinced that no successful film had ever had the word future in the title. Oh, the my God. fuck does that matter? <laughs> Can you imagine a movie called Spaceman from Pluto who travels in a time machine that's a refrigerator? <laughs> that that movie sounds awful. Well, I awful. love didn't they I thought I read something where like Spielberg and team wrote a note, like I wrote a letter to Scheinberg being like, Is is this a joke? <laughs> like are, are you serious? 
It doesn't surprise me. It's a terrible idea. Awful. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) So thank God none of those happened. And upon its release in the summer of 85, Back to the Future spent almost three months at number one in the box office. It made about $390 million worldwide, which was the highest grossing movie of 1985. It won the Oscar for Best Sound Effects Editing. It was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song, The Power of Love, Yeah Baby, and Best Sound Mixing. It spawned two sequels, which we've talked about, and they're both actually pretty good, which is Mm -hmm. rare. It had a video game franchise, and as of February of 2020, a musical, which I'm shocked you haven't seen by now. It's only in London, I think. Oh really? I well, also the that. pandemic hit too, which was pretty rough. But, true, but, true, true. Yeah, no. Don't get me wrong. I will gladly fly out to London when this is all over. <laughs> if this is still playing and check it out. Well, if it comes to the states and you're not going with your girlfriend, I will gladly go with you. <laughs> That's all three. Let's go. Bring Cassidy. Yes. We're all going. <laughs> uh, Adam, I got nothing else left to say. Ready to dive into the categories? I'm ready. Adam, we're here talking about Back to the Future. There are so many iconic scenes here. What's your favorite one? And give me some of your nominees. I did three nominations for this one. So the first scene I have is sending Einstein into the future. I love that scene. You can tell how ecstatic Doc is. They basically accomplished his life goal. And the fact that it's a dog. I know you mentioned the chimp, but... The fact that it's a you know pretty cute dog just being the first time traveler, I I, I love that. Um, they got it all on camera as well, and then the Libyans come shortly after. But the Libyans, over there. <laughs> I don't know how, but they found me. <laughs> the second one I have is Lorraine in 1955 tracking down Marty at Doc's place because she followed him, and Doc is so damn uncomfortable (laughs) the whole time and i never picked up on this until i just watched it but his acting in the background his his non-verbal acting is so good he's like putting his hand on his head he's like leaning over like he's about to throw up or something he's so uncomfortable he's like holy shit (laughs) which is so funny and then you know, the last one of my ultimate winner, it's it's sending Marty back to the future. The suspense that leads up to it, the car isn't working. Marty slams on it, slams on the gas. Doc just gets the wires to connect at the last second, sending 1.21 gigawatts of electricity through into the flux capacitor and sending Marty back to the future. And I just, that whole scene, again, Doc... You, you feel it twice. You feel Doc in the beginning of the movie ecstatic for accomplishing his goal and then also doing it 30 years prior. Seeing Doc's reaction with that is, is also beautiful. So I'm going to go with that as my overall winner, but I could have nominated every single scene in this movie. So I, I'm going to be honest. I know we try to limit these to a few, but it was impossible for me to take some of these off the list. I did select a winner, but I'm going to quickly rattle off some of my favorites. And some of them, a lot of these you didn't mention. But uh, one, first and foremost, and I think it's severely underrated, Marty skateboarding to school in the beginning to the power of love playing. He's, Doc, I'm late for school. Super. I, it's, it just shows how cool this kid is. Yeah. You know? 
he gets his bag on, hits the skateboard down. You have this amazing song playing. He's he's holding on to the tails of all these cars going to school. He's just a cool guy. And you're like, I love this kid. Giving a wave to so the had, cafe and everything. Just He knows it. Yeah. He knows it. Yeah, he's, he's the best. Oh, he uh, also waves to, what is it, like uh, an aerobics class that's going on too or yeah. something? <laughs> <laughs> so I had that. Um, as you, I have that, that whole series of when you said when Einstein goes back in time, but I had that combined with when Marty goes back in time for the first time too. Great action sequences. Uh, I love when Marty sees George at the diner for the first time. And then Biff and George have the same exact interaction as they did earlier in the film when they're at home. And that's something I, I picked up on too recently. It's like the dialogue is also the exact same. Yep. Oh, McFly, your shoe's untied. And then he slaps him in the face. That's really – and Marty is just stunned. And then that, when Marty sees his mother for the first time in her bedroom, he's just terrified. And that's such great physical acting by Michael J. Fox too, something I don't think Eric Stoltz could have pulled off. Um. I also love a, and one of my one of my favorites, and this is probably second for me, when Marty goes to see Doc for the first time in 1955, and Doc is blowing him off like he's some um, idiot. He tries to put the sticker on his head yeah. and do some mind reading experiment, and then when Marty tells Doc about the bruise on his head and how he knows about the flux capacitor, that's like a chill moment for me. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love before is it Ronald Reagan, the actor. I, I love Who's that. his vice president? Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had the lunch scene when George and Marty talk about rejection. You know, George is writing his, his story, and then Marty is starting to really see himself reflected in his dad for the first time. That was a really a mm-hmm. really cool scene for me. That one actually gave Marty me chills. Sp- yeah, it's that's something I picked up on too. Because in the very beginning, Marty's talking about his band, and he doesn't think their music's good enough. And he says to, to Jennifer, what if we're not good enough? I don't think I could take that kind of rejection. It's like, oh, I'm starting to sound like my dad. Yep. And then that scene is like you are literally saying what your dad used to say. So much foreshadowing and the dialogue, like you said, the repetition of the dialogue is super unique for this film, too. Yeah. Uh, a couple more here. Uh, when Obviously, when George knocks out Biff and into the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, that's iconic. When Marty goes back to the future, as you said, a great action sequence. It all comes together there. But my my winner is when George asks out Lorraine at the diner, and he says, "You're my density." <laughs> and when and then combined with when Marty fights Biff and grabs the kid's scooter and makes it a skateboard and rides around, and then the manure truck. That whole sequence for me takes the cake. I love that. You're my density. You're my density. <laughs> I'm George, George McFly. Yes. <laughs> Crispin Clover, man. He's so, He's so good. good. He's got He's his, so good. his shirt is like half tucked in, half untucked when he's coming up there. Oh, I God. overslept. Yeah, he's, oh my God. I, oh, Crispin Glover, man. I wish he it's could a, have been any others. Oh, God. And I just talked about the scene when George knocks out Biff. It's like the moment he punches Biff, he's so... He, he like he has so much adrenaline rushing through him, and he's looking at his hand, and his hand is shaking, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> and he's are like you smiling. okay?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's incredible, Ma- amazing job by Crispin Glover there. But uh, yeah, that scene for me takes it. But overall, it's it was so hard to nub him down. Every scene in this movie is just just knockout after knockout awesome stuff whether it's the sci-fi action scenes or or great comedy or great nostalgic moments incredible 
one scene I thought you were going to bring up was the Johnny B. Good uh, performance from Marty McFly at uh, at the Enchantment of the Sea Dance. But I thought it was interesting is that that scene was actually in consideration to be removed. And then the yeah. audience, when they first you know did the dry run or whatever, loved it. And they're like, you got to keep it. And so, uh-huh. but I will, I will say some of the scenes that they did remove, not so good. I, you know, if you're listening, maybe take a look at the deleted scenes from Back to the Future and you're like, thank God those scenes were deleted because they either don't age well or it's not that. There's one where Crispin Glover is trapped in a phone booth and it's just a terrible, I think you sent me this. It's awful. Yeah, absolutely scene. terrible. It's like, why is, why is that a thing? Why, why does that scene exist? Well, yeah, he also, just for context, he goes into the phone booth to call the operator to ask what time it is after he already checks the time in in the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. It makes no sense. Terrible scene. Glad yeah, it's out no of there. Sense. Let's move on. Um, so <laughs> sticking with the scenes here, Brett, if you could take one scene, and I'm sure you're going to take a couple because I know, I know how you do this. If you're going to take one scene and make it into a musical, what scene or scenes would it be? Well, you're absolutely right. My my musical direction style is to blend multiple scenes together. So I have when Marty and Doc figure out how they're going to send Marty back to the future. That scene when it starts when they're uh, in Doc's home in 1955. And they're like, Doc's like, Marty, you're stuck here. I'm sorry. And then Doc also mentions that the only thing capable of reaching 1.21 gigawatts is a bolt of lightning. A bolt of lightning. And then the and then that moment when the light bulb goes off in Marty's head, he's holding that crumpled piece of paper about the clock tower. He looks at it, looks up, and then he goes into song. He's like, this is it. How I will get home on Saturday night. The lightning will strike and send me back to where I know. And then Doc kind of chimes in. He goes a little... uh, Here's what we'll do. I have a big plan. I'll hook you up to the tower. You'll never look back. <laughs> and then finally they it goes into them, you know, crafting this this plan, this elaborate plan. And finally they they both sing together. We have one chance. I'm not a loser. I will win this fight and go back to the future. <laughs> do, 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 do. I guess that'll be Marty, not both of them, but so them, them making the plan, basically. So maybe it's one scene, actually. I'm not really this blending. Is, no, yeah, you did. You did one scene. I, I love yeah, that you scene. followed directions here. That, yeah, that is did. really good. I, I actually got the chills because at first you were talking about that scene, which I love that scene. I should have put that on, Amazing. on my favorites. But I can just imagine Doc with his hand or his arm around Marty. And he's, you know, he's got his other arm up, like looking away. And he's just like, we'll send you back. And he's like yeah i don't know he's got that whole vision i like it all right Um, what do you got here so mine i kind of pulled a brett actually i was giving you a lot of shit about 30 seconds ago about (laughs) not not sticking to one seed and now that i look at it i kind of did too (laughs) but it's the the parts where marty is basically telling george what to do what to say to lorraine and it's it's with the diner that you talked about. It's also with the scene. You can combine it with when Marty is outside with George and telling him the plan about how he's sure. gonna like basically touch his own mom and blah blah blah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I turned it into kind of like a. Uh, are you a Wicked fan? Are you are you familiar with Wicked? 
Uh, I have seen Wicked, but I was like 11 when we went on our school field trip. Okay. Yeah, it was a great field trip. One of my favorites. But uh, there's a song, Popular. Oh, you're going to be popular. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Well, so I yeah. took I took that concept, and I'm just changing the words around to match Back to the Future. So instead of like, you'll hang with the right cohorts, you'll be good at sports, it's like, you will need to swear to make sure she cares, or like... <laughs> I'll teach Damn you it, the, George. Swear. <laughs> yeah, you got to swear. I'll teach you the proper poise when you talk to boys, but it'll be like, tell her she's your destiny. You were meant to be. And it was just like kind of the whole the whole time. Marty is just convincing uh, George how to like be cool and be popular to get his mom back. So I love it. I it's love uh, it. it's it's not incredibly original. I'm, I'm spinning it off from a great musical itself, but it's got potential. Hey, I, I, I'm a fan, and that that scene is really good when Marty and George are are outside, and George is do, uh, putting his clothes on the rack. And hey, you! Like, get your damn hands <laughs> off her! Do I have to swear? <laughs> no, that's really good. I love it, Adam. This movie is very quotable. I don't think the quotes necessarily are something that stand out above the rest just because there are so many spectacular things about this movie but there are some really good quotes so just rattle yours off what are your favorite quotes and then give me your winner here we go if my calculations are correct when this baby hits 88 miles per hour we'll see some serious shit (laughs) amazing the appropriate question is when the hell are they oh my god they found me I don't know how but they found me Hey, kid, would you jump ship? What's with the life preserver? <laughs> Better get used to these bars, kid. Lorraine, you ever have a kid like that? I'll. <laughs> You're... Lorraine, you ever have a kid who acts that way? I'll disown you. <laughs> Erased from existence. Ooh, chills. Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Marty, you're beginning to sound just like my mother. <laughs> and then shortly after that, I don't know what it is, but when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. <laughs> I guess that doesn't make any sense, does it? Believe me, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Love Wait, that. before you go out of your next one, I understand Biff comes to the car shortly after that and, and ruins everything. But why doesn't she have a follow-up question to that? She's like, wait, why does that make perfect sense? Good, good question. That's a fantastic <laughs> point. I guess it's a good movie for it. I should save that. But it's like, why doesn't she say, why does that make perfect sense, Marty? There's another time when he's like, if you guys have a kid and he accidentally sets fire to the living room cart rug, <laughs> go easy on him. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Marty? <laughs> Jordan's like, will do. <laughs> <laughs> will do. Thanks like, for all your advice, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, where where was I? Uh, okay, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. And then right after, guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. I got two more. You're late. Do you have no concept of time? I love that quote from Doc. And then 
the last one, my ultimate winner, it's one of the most iconic, but roads mm-hmm. where we're going, we don't need roads. Amazing. All great. Now that I just I... recited the entire movie, what else do you have? I actually have a handful that you did not have on there. Oh, and nice. one of them I'm actually surprised you didn't have. Um, so I'll, I'll just get on my list. Hello. Hello. Anybody home? Think, McFly. Think. Knocking on the head. Great Scott. How did you not say Great Scott? It I was mean, a layup. I, 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 I put it aside. Uh, my next one. And you know I'm a – I've mentioned this before. I'm a sucker for when the title of the movie is infused into the dialogue. So then when Doc goes, next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. And he points – breaks the fourth wall. I love that. You're my density. <laughs> <laughs> As we talked about. Lou, give me a milk. Yeah. Chocolate. <laughs> Takes one sip, one little swig, and puts it down. <laughs> no, one, yeah. one, one swig, and that's it. Please excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or paint it. <laughs> and it's immaculate. <laughs> it looks good. Oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I won't repeat all the others that you had, but my winner was Chuck. It's Marvin, your cousin Marvin Barry. You know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. I feel like I say that one most Absolutely. often out of all these quotes yeah i mean you're all a chuck incredible. berry guy as well so you bet oh man wow that was i could just do that again i could just run through the entire list again but for the sake of time we'll, we'll keep moving here but we'll give <laughs> we'll give a little bit of credit to the camera because we like to do yep. that but give me your best shots they could be still or moving um just give me the best shots you have in back to the future sure so i don't have a ton here to be honest um, but the ones that stood out to me, so I know we talked about when we were chatting about the production of it, that you said there were no overdrawn out time travel sequences, which I think is great. But that said, all of the time travel scenes, I think are amazing camera wise. All the moments when the DeLorean vanishes in the thin air and you see the, the fire on the ground. I think those are, those are done beautifully. So uh, my shot of the movie is when I'm choosing when Marty goes back to 1985 at the end. So you have the shot of the front of the car as he's speeding down the road trying to get up to 88. And then the lightning strikes. It goes all the way down from the clock tower through Doc connecting the, the, the cords together. And then it hits the DeLorean and you see the car burst and and just completely uh, vanish. And I just think that that's incredible. That's just incredible stuff right there. As you said, it's not overblown, but I don't know. I think think it's amazing camera work. And then in the beginning, when Einstein goes back, I love that one too because that's also the first time we see it. And if you've never seen this movie before, you don't really know that it's com- you don't know that it's coming, and it's like, whoa, that's fucking awesome! What just happened there? So yeah, the sound I, I, too. I, yeah. Oh, the sound is great. I mean, that's why this movie won an Oscar for for its sound mixing or its sound editing. Um, and then. Finally, besides that, I had the final shot of the movie, the very last thing we see when Doc flies the DeLorean into the camera. I love that. Very, very cool stuff. So all the De- basically the DeLorean time travel sequences for me do it with the camera. How about you? Your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids. Yeah. <laughs> what do we become, assholes or something? I love that. <laughs> assholes or something? Um, 
No, those are fantastic. I, I, I had any time the DeLorean was going back to the future as well. I have two to add, and they're really centered around Biff. So just in general, the camera's always looking up at Biff every time they show him. They portray him to be this huge, intimidating bully, really, and they do it really well, especially with the height difference that actually does exist between Biff and, and Marty. So I like that. But the camera then also, when George eventually knocks out Biff, the camera is looking down at George, and you can tell he's just like a helpless guy, but he this is also good acting by Crispin Glover, but the fear turns into rage very quickly and the camera just stays there and you can yeah. see it develop. And then, you know, as he, he kind of gets ready, the rage builds up, he, he punches Biff, but then the camera then immediately cuts to Marty's perspective where he sees it from a distance. He sees Biff falling down. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, it flips to Lorraine's perspective very quickly where she's looking up at George. So now the camera's looking at George as if he's a hero up at him. I think that's super well done how it transitions between all the different characters. And by the end of it, you're like, fuck yeah, George McFly. I know. that That's amazing. I love that a good camera shot in that scene too is when George's fist curls up. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then Biff, this happens really quickly. Biff sees George's fist curl up. And his face goes from, like, laughing to, huh? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, George knocks him the fuck out. It's a great moment. One of great the best, camera work. One of the best feel-good parts of, of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, you love seeing Biff get the shit knocked out of him. <laughs> Who doesn't love that? So it's fantastic. Adam, movie farts. This movie has, has a few, which we've referenced already. It has a giant one. And uh, I'll let you get into whatever you, to whatever you got, um, but we are going to address this gigantic movie fart. Give me yours. Let's get into it. So I'll give you one that are pretty. I'll give you some that are nitpicky, um, and then the last one. The first one is Marty goes to see Doc. You know, he goes back to the future, and then he goes in. Or sorry, he goes to 1955, tracks down Doc. He doesn't mention anything about Doc being murdered for quite some time. Like You should be like, hey, you know, I need to get back, but also you probably don't want to die. So Marty kind of makes it all about himself. Bugs me a little bit. Maybe you should say something <laughs> sooner. The Well, he tries to. Yeah, but it takes him like, you know, I don't know how many days it is, but it takes him a few days before he actually says, Doc, by the way... <laughs> Right. He doesn't actually, like, as I was watching the movie, like, you know, Marty tries to give him a note. He tries to be like, but the night you go back, how yeah. about you just say, you're going to get killed? Yeah, let's. They're going to kill you. <laughs> you walk out that door, they're going to kill you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, he, he really makes it about him, which is right. uh, a little bit, little bit concerning for me. But anyway, second one I have, why does Strickland never get Biff in trouble? He always picks on McFly's, calls him a slacker. Biff's clearly the douche here, so that's yeah, kind of bugs me. This one is pretty specific, but Marty says that there's something wrong with the starter, with the DeLorean. But at the end of the movie, before he's sent back to the future, the DeLorean dies after it's already running. 
So that would make me think it's not a starter issue. Just <laughs> completely. If, if I were to say this while I was watching a movie, I'd want you to kick my ass. But I'm, I'm just, I'm just letting, <laughs> I'm just hey, letting it fart. be known. Yeah, it's a fart. It's a fart. It's a fart. Um, two more here. Yeah. Doc originally wants to go 25 years into the future. He talks about wanting to see the next 25 years of World Series champs. And that was his original time frame when he said it before the Libyans came. Then at the end of the movie, though, Marty asks Doc where he's going to go. And he's like, thinking 30 years. Like, why'd you change, man? What's what's wrong with 25 years? And What happened in those extra five years? Yeah, or what didn't happen anymore. in those extra five years? And the last one is one where I actually took time to think about it. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Biff sexually assaulted Lorraine. Oh man, yeah, that's 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 yet yeah, not good, not good. He works for them. Like, right. when you would be like, get this guy. This is something that doesn't age very well, but it's like this guy should be nowhere near their life, right. and yet he's he's a part of their everyday life, um, which is super messed up. Uh, but this that was the only one that like actually I thought kind of bugs me. Yeah, that that doesn't. I mean, that whole part of the script, where even when Marty's supposed to, you know, I know it's not real, but when he's supposed to get a little, a little handsy with his mom in the car, it's just, it's just a little off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Biff legitimately at least begins to assault her before George saves the day. But yeah, why the fuck would he? I know he. I understand he works for George at the end, basically. Right. Um, but it's yeah. Fart. Yeah. Total just, fart. Just a fart. Yeah. What do you, what do you have here? All right. So I'm going to start with the big one. Why and how are Marty and Doc friends? <laughs> that is the question that lingers over this movie every time I watch it for me. Marty is in a band, has a beautiful girlfriend. He's a cool skateboarder. We see this from the opening scenes of the film. He's just a cool, rad kid, fun personality, outgoing. Yet his only friend, besides his girlfriend, is the neighborhood scientist and lunatic who's like 40 years older than him. We have no background on how they become friends. We don't know why they're they're friends to begin with. Obviously, they Marty clearly has a passion for, for science. I, but... but, but why doesn't Marty have any other friends either? Is he some, we, you know, yeah. this does not add up for me. It doesn't add up for me. No, it makes no sense. If you're Jennifer too, you're like, yeah, this might be a red flag. Yeah, you what know? does she see in him? What <laughs> does she see in him? I don't know. She I never say, talks to Doc. No. <laughs> it's, and what, and what, if, what do Marty's parents think about this? Our son, who is 18 years old, has a lot going for him. His only friend is a 70-year-old scientist. They're concerned about him going up to the lake, but they're not concerned about him hanging out with some old dude who's like some estranged scientist. I I, it, it, it doesn't add up. Nothing about it adds up. But at the same time, I think it's one of the reasons why the movie is so good because it just creates that little mystery. It's like, hey, you're not supposed to know why they're friends. They're just friends. Right. Yeah. So I, that that's a huge one for me. And then I also had, um, why don't Doc or Strickland age or de-age at all? They yeah. both look the exact same 
1985 and 1955. Didn't that what's guy that ever have hair? Yeah, that's yeah. what they say well, about Strickland. What's that, what, what's that about? I mean, Christopher Lloyd essentially looks the same today as he did in these movies, too. A little older. But, but I mean, they, like at least do some makeup jobs on them, no? I, I'm with you. I think it's... I mean, I think that goes across all three of the movies, too. They yeah. they always look the same. Yeah. And, I mean, they do a good job, I think, with Lorraine and George. Great jobs with them. Yeah. So why can't you put that effort into Doc and Strickland? Yeah. Good point. Valid point. With, with, with Strickland, it makes a little more sense because they bring it up when Marty says, didn't that guy ever have hair? But with Doc... He is the exact same. <laughs> yeah, he wears just like a different shirt. 1955 and 1985. Yeah, he's exact same. Yeah. Uh, doesn't good. add up for me. Fart. Legitimate fart. Yeah. <laughs> very juicy fart. Very, very juicy fart. Well, that was I'm glad we got all the gas out. So, <laughs> let's let's take a quick break here and when we come back, we'll do some some casting calls and then a little bit of trivia as well. This episode of Butterless Popcorn is brought to you by Poop Tent. We all know the best part about working from home is the ability to poop in private. You don't need to worry about the strange sounds your body is making or the smell of the deconstructed burrito the guy next to you is concocting. These are legitimate concerns when pooping at the office. That's why there's Poop Tent. Poop Tent is a soundproof tarp you wrap around the stall just as you're about to take care of business. It is perfectly designed to block out both incoming and outgoing sounds. But in case that's not enough, try the Poop Tent Plus. With the Poop Tent Plus, you're allowed to select a special interior design, so it really does feel like you're at home. To get your Poop Tent or Poop Tent Plus, give them a call and tell them Adam and Brett sent you. You'll never want to go anywhere without it. Poop Tent, the only way to dump. Welcome back to Butterless Popcorn. We're talking about the impeccable Back to the Future Brett, let's get into some casting calls here, and we'll start with one of our favorite categories. Who is the biggest asshole in this movie? So, it is Biff. You could argue Strickland, because Strickland is a fucking ass, and that guy's a dick. But Biff is the... He's one of the most iconic bullies in the history of cinema. He... I mean, as we said, he he's picking on George... In every scene they're in together, he's slapping him in the face. He makes George do his homework for him. Even when they're adults in the beginning of the movie, George has to do his actual Biff's actual work. Yeah. It's, he's such a prick to George, but then he assaults Lorraine. He's constantly touching up on her in, in earlier scenes of the movie, too. He's a fucking asshole, Biff. Such a prick. And, and I know I've said in a few podcasts already you know where does this person rank on the all-time movie asshole list biff is up there i don't know if he's number number four or number 14 he's up there this guy is a prick and he's so iconic in all of the back to the future films in the second and the third too biff has such a prominent role and i love that he has a prominent role he's the villain in every single movie which is great guy's a dick and he is the dick of the movie and the franchise i couldn't agree more. I think it's pretty clear cut. It goes, you know, Shooter McGavin, Biff Tannen right behind him <laughs> in terms of biggest asshole. But yeah, like you said, complete asshole. I do have two other people I want to mention. The first one, Uncle Joey. 
We know nothing about him, but the guy's nothing in prison. About... <laughs> so... Well, so wait, that's kind of a movie fart I should have brought up, too. I want to know why Uncle Joey is in prison. Yeah, apparently they don't he mention made that at a all. mistake, but yeah, I would, I would be interested as well. But they do actually, it's interesting because when you go back to 1955 and see Lorraine and her family, her parents mention how they just leave him in the crib because that's just what he wants. He cries or whatever. So you can tell he's right. like kind of a problem child to begin with. But so, so that's one. And the other one I'll mention is Lorraine's dad, Sam. Kind of a little a bit brick. of a dick. He's, when Marty leaves, he's like, he's an idiot. <laughs> Who the hell is John yeah. F. Kennedy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it goes to Biff, but, you know, if without Biff, there's there's a couple other guys that are a little douchey as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a very easy category. So now we're going to get into if the movie was placed in the eyes of the character, Adam, who would it be? What would the plot be? George Again, Ma- I hope we don't have the same one. George oh, McFly? Boom. Wait, I did not have him. Good. Okay. I always, every time I say it, I just look at your face just to see if we have the same storyline here. But I know. Um, because we did in the Sandlot. But <laughs> George McFly, so he's an anxious, nervous, insecure man, which I think are the exact words you used earlier in the show, Probably. which was pretty nuts. Yeah. but anxious nervous insecure man who really never has the ability to fight for himself he gives up his dream of being a writer science fiction stories uh, because he's afraid of rejection you know he lives a safe life which you know he thinks is good enough for him but then he sees his son marty grow up and marty has basically become just like his father and George cannot stand to see his son like that. So George is determined to change history. George befriends an old scientist named Doc Brown that he once read about. And together they go back in time to help Marty become the real man that George had always hoped he'd become. Ooh. I love it. And it's father helping son. Father helping son. The other it's, way around. It's kind of it's kind of like the beginning of Back to the Future Part Two, because Marty has to go back to help his son, or has to go forward to help his son. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it is. It is basically, although this one is fear of becoming himself, um, right? But yeah, it's a good point. That's 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 wonderful. I I have Biff. And Biff circa 1955. So his home life is pretty rough. As we see in the sequel in Back to the Future Part 2, he only lives with his grandmother who, you know, I'm going to get a little dark here. She she beats him with a belt whenever he gets out of line. And that's the reason why he is who he is. He's such a bully because he is abused at home. Biff takes his aggression out on George McFly, the insecure, nerdier kid at school, as we said, and he's constantly hitting on Lorraine. His life sucks. So his primary goal is to make George's life worse than his. He's a typical bully, and he's trying to win the girl at the same time. But then some young, hotshot kid who no one's ever seen before strolls into town. People are calling him Calvin Klein. What kind of (laughs) dumb name is that? And this kid is taking the girl away from Biff. He's giving George more confidence 
to stand up to Biff. Biff's little world here is crumbling. So Biff needs to break through and get this kid, Calvin Klein, out of town if he's going to win his own battle. So I basically, the plot is very similar, but it's just literally through the eyes of Biff and Biff's own goals and what he wants. I like that. And it reminds me, I think it's it's worth bringing up, but you know we won't get too political here, but Biff is loosely based off of our current president, Donald Trump. And, a little bit, a little bit. You know, there's there's uh, there's some similarities there for you. So to kind of prove, um, although I think it was Zemeckis that said that. I don't know if he said it until twenty like seventeen or something. So after Trump was already elected president, he said it was based off of him. I think it plays more in the second movie as well. But I like that. I think it would be worth seeing the movie in Biff's perspective because so much changes for him. Honestly, yeah. oh, you know, when when Marty does turn. So there's some development to be seen there. So I like it. So we'll, we'll switch gears a bit, but we'll stick with the idea of casting. Brett, if you could take one actor or actress to replace one of the stars in the movie, who would it be and why? I have Robin Williams as George McFly. Nice. And so... Robin was, rest in peace, Robin Williams. He was so good at playing this. How do you even describe how his, how his comedy was? He was so eccentric and he was so energetic and he was so good at playing these oddballs. It's like right? a charismatic, so but like very jittery type. Like, yeah. Yeah. He was amazing at playing that, and that's who George McFly was in a way. So I feel like Robin Williams could have been great at playing that that goofy oddball who was really insecure. All those all those shaky hand movements, and when he would talk like this, like I just think Robin Williams would have would have kicked that out of the park. He had so many quirky styles, and he's way funnier than Crispin Glover ever was. I feel like he would have brought a lot of more comedy to George McFly. I think he would have pulled this off wonderfully. That's that's really interesting. The one thing I have against it, and it's like it's not even fair, but it's just the way that he looks, is that he doesn't look the nerdy part like Crispin Glover does. You know that like tall, no. lanky. You yeah. know, it, 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 he he's got it all perfectly lined up. I, so it's just your face. <laughs> So that's that's all that's all that's the only thing I have against it, but I love that. I think that could really the hair work. works. The hair would work because he it, had it does, that. Yeah. Robin Williams kind of had that comb over a little bit. Yeah, you can uh, you it. can oil it up just like they reference. <laughs> I think I forgot when they're oh when they're watching TV. Yeah, he's got all a bunch of grease oil on his hair. George does. Yeah, he and he's watching TV, and uh, Marty's brother goes like. You know, go a little easy on the oil or something like that when he kisses him on the head and says goodbye to him. I oh wow, I've never yeah, noticed. In, is that in the that's in the beginning towards right? the beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, All right, Adam, what's yours? That's good. So I replaced Christopher Lloyd, and I did it with Harrison Ford. So whoa, okay, explain yeah. please. Well, first of all, I could just picture Harrison Ford saying, "Where we're going, we don't need roads," which I thought would be really good, but. You know, Doc kind of has this, like, adventurous, adventurous, risky Indiana Jones, Han Solo aspect to him. He, 
he is not as much of a wild card as maybe Harrison Ford has played in these roles. But I think Harrison will be able to play that like mentor. You'd be a little bit more off the rails, but um, yeah, I don't know. Good mix of like science and adventure along with just bringing Marty along with the journey. I think Harrison will be good for it. I was also thinking like Air Force One. Just love the hero <laughs> that Harrison Ford is in that movie. Get but, out of my DeLorean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say that to I. Yeah. I, I don't ha- I don't hate the take, but at the same time, I don't know. I just I don't find Harrison Ford very funny. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't be able to do that <gasps> or, you know, any of that stuff. But yeah, it'd be it'd be a more adventure driven than it right. would comedy for sure. So, Adam, tell me, would this movie be better or worse with Neil Patrick Harris in it? I love this pick. I love it. But no, uh, it'd, be, it'd be worse. I. So as soon as you said NPH, I was like, Marty McFly, Neil Patrick Harris. I think he could do yeah. it. And then just the more I thought about it, I, I couldn't put him. I couldn't put him as Marty. I think the thing that really bothered me was NPH is so, I, I think of him a lot in, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I think of them a lot <laughs> with, oh my God. with How I Met Your Mother, obviously. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. And he's a little too silly for me. And he's a little too... Uh, he's just crazy, I guess. And I, I love yeah. that Marty's got that element of like, you know, he loves the nerdy science portion of it. And I just don't think I'd get the same appreciation from NPH. I agree with you. I I said that the movie would be worse as well. So the only two people I could see NPH playing in this is Marty or George. And for both of them, NPH, as you were kind of just saying, he's he's too cocksure. He's too confident. I, I can't see him as George being that the nervous nerd who gets bullied all the time, even though he's got the frame for it, as you were saying. He's, he's the lankier type. Mm-hmm. But And then with Marty, you know, NPH is more like, oh, if he gets stranded in 1955, he's just going to have a heyday and enjoy himself and occasionally check up on Doc to see if, <laughs> you know, if the DeLorean is up and running again. He's like, hey, Doc, let me know when it's time to go back, but I'm enjoying my time here. You know, I don't care if I get if I if I get vanished from existence. Fine with me. I'm going to go to this dance and, and, <laughs> and meet some woman. Just so. get fucked up and have the time of his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree. I. I I chose him for this category because I don't. I quite frankly don't, don't know why I chose him because we both like him, I guess. <laughs> from Neil fucking Patrick Harris, baby. Yeah, NPH. So uh, I love good it. Good that we agree on that. Brett, it's it's that time. It's time, Adam. It's, it's time, time for trivia. And let me tell you something. I'm so nervous for a couple reasons. I prepared. Number one, I wasn't sure if you were going to insult me. With some easy questions. But after I figured you're not going to, I don't know how obscure you're going to be. Because I've talked about my knowledge for this movie so much that I am petrified of what you are going to ask me. <laughs> it's, oh, And then if I ask you these questions, you get them all right. I'm going to look like such an idiot. Oh, man. I just, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop there. But I, I'm extremely nervous for this and I'm excited. All right. So let's. I have a feeling we might re- 
we might have some of the same questions. So let, let's do a little flip-flop. So I'll ask you the first, and then you can ask me, and then so on and so forth. Okay. What is the name of Marty's band? Oh, that's my first one, too, the Pinheads. I, I, that was my, oh, first, all right. nice. <laughs> that's my first question <laughs> I had there. There we go. Okay, so skipping that one. What road is a block past Maple? Oh, God. Fuck. Oh, block past Maple. That's John F. Kennedy Drive. Yeah, that is. Well, 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 it's not. Well, it wasn't John F. Kennedy Drive, though, in. Oh, no. So I guess it is John F. Kennedy Drive because it didn't have a name in 1955. It didn't. Right, right. right. Okay, so yeah, it's John F. Kennedy. Sweet. What is the license plate of the DeLorean? What does it say? Out of time. Yes. And nice. uh, I was actually looking at that, and there was eight letters. I believe license plates can only have seven. I, I didn't know if that was a fart as well, but... Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Is that a thing? License plates can only have seven letters? thought so. I don't know. Maybe I made that up. But anyway, out of time. Yep. Wow. Nice. Yes. Yeah, here we go. Okay. I've got a lot of confidence now. Um, how much damage... Or, or what was the what was the bill for Biff's car? Um, I know this. Three hundred. Nice. It cost three hundred bucks to my car. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, we're on a roll right now. Who's gonna get one wrong? I'm I'm on I'm on toes. I'm on my toes right here. All right. What military unit does Marty tell Lorraine's mother that he's in when he meets her? Uh, the Coast Guard. Yes. Wow. Nice. Yeah, that's he why he's got the life preserver. Yep. 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 And then it brings up, it, it comes up again when Doc is like, hold on, hold on, don't tell me. You want to make a donation? You want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Auxiliary? <laughs> <laughs> Youth Auxiliary. Yes. That's good. Um, I only have one more here, actually. So, okay. what is the name of the mall? Twin Pines. And it's and? twin. It's Twin Pines Mall in right. in the beginning of the movie. At the end of the movie, what's the name of the mall? You're saying the mall has a different name at the end I'm, of the movie. I'm like saying it's no... the mall has a different name at the end of the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> This is one of those crazy subtleties, and you're that. That's what makes this movie so great, is that little things like this. I don't know. Lone Pine Mall. And if oh you remember, Doc is yes, talking I remember. about. He's talking I about remember. how it's two pines. Old man Peabody wanted to start to breed pine trees, which was pretty messed up. Right. But when Marty goes, first goes into the past, he runs he's it driving over. away, and yes, he runs it over, and so it becomes Lone Pine Mall. Oh damn oh man that was really good but it's you things like that. that that's that's why i love this movie is little things like that that you pick up on every single time you watch the movie it's fantastic Fuck. all right i actually have a few more here for you all right all right so the reason why doc had the plutonium was because he made a deal with the libyans that he was going to make a bomb out of it or he's going to use it to make a bomb but instead, he made a bomb out of something else and stole the plutonium. What did he make the bomb out of? Wow. Oh. 
Oh my god. I don't know. Used pinball machine parts. Oh, nice. Damn. Oh, that's good. I would have never guessed that, but now that you say it. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. All right, and I got I got I got another here for you. So it's kind of a two-parter. If you get the first part, that'll be that'll be fine. So when Marty goes back to 1955 and he walks into town for the first time, and he's right outside the big movie theater. What movie is playing at the theater? It says it on the billboard or on the on the big board outside, and then starring what actor? It's something about Christ or Jesus or something. It is not. What? Oh, what is it then? Cattle Queen of Montana, starring Ronald Reagan. Oh, really? Wow. Um, when is it? It says something. There's something about like Christ or something. Is there? I, I don't know. That's just like, what it says on like the. Yeah, maybe it doesn't say that there. Um, but it says somewhere around there. I remember noticing that. Oh, I'll have to go back and and look and see where that is. But starring Ronald Reagan, I love it. That's a great. Yeah, no, that that's great. Great, great that they slid that in there. It's oh, perfect. Man. Okay, is that it? Yeah, well, I actually just thought of this right now. Do you remember? So that's when he goes back to 1955. When Marty goes back to 1985, do you know what? I don't know what the name of it is, but do you know like what type of movie is playing? Like it has on the on the the on the the board outside the theater. No, I don't. It's a it's a porno. Is it? I can't. It says like XXX movie. Oh, it does. Nice. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely not with Jesus Christ. I th- no. <laughs> um, not drunk driver. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Drunk. Isn't that the isn't that the old mayor too? The guy who's sleeping on the bench. Or am I making that up? The old, like the guy from 1955. Yeah. Oh. Am I making that up? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, Adam, let's let's take a quick break. Then we'll shoot into segment three where we are going to get a little crazy with questions. This episode of Butterless Popcorn is brought to you by Stair Friends, the best companion you can have for a fixed price. In a world where it's nearly impossible to unplug from our phones and laptops, especially during the ongoing pandemic, Looking outside your window with a cup of coffee in hand is the perfect opportunity to breathe and relax. And what better way to unwind and look outside than with a companion? With Stair Friends, you can select the gender, race, sexual orientation, and even IQ level of the person who will come to your home and stare outside your window with you for only $6 a minute. That's $6 a minute! So whether it's snowing, hailing, or the sun is shining bright, Put down your electronics and get a view of the great outdoors every once in a while with your new stair friend. Call 1-800-780-STAIR to get your free trial started. That's 1-800-780-STAIR. Terms and conditions may apply. Now back to the episode. Welcome back to Butterless Popcorn, where we are discussing Back to the Future. Adam, we got one more segment here. Some plot what-ifs. Give me what you got. So... This one is kind of out there, but what if the crowd at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance just absolutely loved Marty's solo? 
in Johnny Be Good. <laughs> they just loved it. And Marty started to feel like he could become a real star. Would he try to find a way to stay in the 1950s? Somehow, some way with Doc? Or would he still give it all give it all up to come back to 1985? <laughs> he gives it up. Going back to 1985 is, is too important. Got I a think girl. He, he's got a girl. You make a good point because he wants to be a rock star. But um, he, he's got too much riding on, on this experiment. He can't let Doc down. He can't uh, let him down. I wanted you to take hard. the bait here, but but I, I agree. He, he's, he's got too much. Marty Marty's morals. He, he does have some, you know, he does have some flaws. He's not perfect. But he's a good guy. He's got a good heart. He can't bail on Doc like that. Damn, I was hoping you'd go the other direction there. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, he's a kid. He's a kid. He wants to be a rock star. But Yeah, yeah. But I'm with you. So mine is kind of similar in a way. Or I guess my answer is kind of similar. So I have, what if the experiment fails and Marty can't go back to 1985? His, uh, what, what, you know, his, his parents get together at the dance but then something happens with the DeLorean or the experiment just completely fails. What does he do in 1955? This feels like the prestige to me where you kind of <laughs> have two of the same guy and you just got to kill one. Um, so I think, I think he just, you know, lives it out a little bit and then doc kills him. I guess I, I don't. I don't know. Doc is so nervous about Doc the space kills time him. Con- he, I mean, he's so nervous about the space time continuum, and or he just goes off to like Barbados right. or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he can't. He can't run into his old self. He can't run into his parents anymore. That's just messed up. You got to leave town. Right, because that is a good point. Like eventually, he will be born. Mm-hmm. So it's a good point. I had, I think he leaves Hill Valley completely. And kind of as you were saying about with the, with the rock star point, where if they loved his solo, try to use that. I think he tries to become the Beatles before the Beatles. So he takes every Beatles song he knows, or, or maybe not necessarily the Beatles, but some other insane rock band that he probably idolized. And he uses all their songs and pawns them off as his own. Did you just watch Yesterday? I have not seen Yesterday. It's not a good movie, but similar concept. But uh, I like it. Yeah, he'd have to go really far away. But it'd be like go from California to New York City. It'd be an interesting movie because you know he'd have to wrestle with this idea that his parents, you know, would then have kids, and eventually he would be born. He'd have to like wrestle with it the whole time and like. They'd probably like run into them accidentally or something like that. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Damn. Okay. Who knows how that would happen. Well, either way, Marty may or may not end up as a rock star, so I like it. Let's switch gears for a bit here. If you could redo the movie in a different genre, so the entire movie, new genre, what genre are you choosing? So I went with a crime drama. So I have 
for the first 20, 25-ish minutes, the movie is exact same, leading up to Doc being killed by the Libyans. And uh, once the Libyans shoot him, they storm off. And I don't, I didn't get into the details of how they would do this, but they end up framing Marty for Doc's murder. So Marty gets arrested. He's in prison. And the DeLorean is in a police compound. It's in like some police uh, tow, tow yard just sitting there. So Marty, so basically now the plot turns into Marty needs to get to the DeLorean to go back in time to prevent Doc from being murdered and spending the rest of his life in prison. Nice. Does he do it? Yes, I think he does it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting. Mine is pretty similar, actually. Really? So it's a different genre, but a uh, similar concept. So mine is a political fiction. So the U.S. government enters into like a space race type of thing with the Russians. Um, but this time, instead of getting to space, it's for time travel. And so the government puts all of their eggs in Doc Brown's basket as they believe he has the best chance to develop a working, functional time machine. And so what happens is things heat up because Doc demands he needs enough plutonium to generate 1.21 gigawatts of power. So the U.S. government is able to somehow secure it from Libya, but Libyan nationals who, by the way, are helping the Russians, are not pleased about the theft. And so Doc Brown is subsequently murdered, and it's up to his protege, Marty, to finish the job. Um, and Marty succeeds. Takes the plutonium. He's able to go back to the go back in time. But when Marty does go back into the past, he makes sure to change history and prevent the competition from ever happening in the first place. Wow. How does he do that? Uh, that is a great question. I guess he would... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll just tell Doc. This time he'll actually disclose what's about to happen to Doc in a timely manner and um, basically have Doc, like, prevent... Or, like, prevent Doc from agreeing to this this challenge intense yeah it kind of reminds me of like um i don't know it's like tr trippy and like I, I don't know have you ever seen i don't know why i'm thinking of this but have you ever seen the um am i thinking of the right movie the adjustment bureau with matt damon i don't think i have seen. i remember that movie coming out um maybe i have i don't i don't think so I th yeah, it's it's some trippy ass movie where he basically finds out Matt Damon finds out there's like this whole government conspiracy about the world he's living in. I don't know, kind of. Maybe I have seen. Some, I don't know. It sounds familiar. Way. When I, when I was thinking of this, I was like, this does sound like another movie, but um, isn't that a song? No, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't. Know. Sounds like the plot of Goodwill Hunting. I don't know what it is, but I think <laughs> I think it does seem like something else. Yeah. Nice. Well, good takes there, Adam. One of my favorite categories we have up now. This will actually be pretty easy. Spoiler. Does Back to the Future make the Mount Rushmore for anyone involved with the film? The actors, director, everyone. 
I'm sure we're going to have the same answers, but I'll just go one by one. It's going to be a yes for everyone, but Michael J. Fox, yes. I also have in here uh, Back to the Future Part 2, Back to the Future Part 3, <laughs> and Stuart Little. <laughs> so, Stuart Little's? I love Stuart Little. That's no, a good love movie. It. It's a good movie. Yeah, great. Um, so that's Michael J. Fox. For Christopher Lloyd, I have yes, Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part 2, Back to the Future Part 3, <laughs> and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Amazing. <laughs> and then Leah Thompson, yes. Crispin Glover, yes. Thomas F. F. Wilson, who's Biff, yes. And the only one where you actually had to think about it, in my opinion, is Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the list that he has here, Forrest Gump, Castaway, actually Flight as well which he directed mm-hmm. with Denzel Washington. I actually really like that movie too. It's solid. Yeah. All really good directing jobs by Zemeckis, but then uh, obviously back to the future is in there for me. So I'm going with this, those four. So yeses all around. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's kind of funny. Back to the future part one. Yes. Back to the future part two. Yes. That's these guys' careers really. You're absolutely right. I mean, Family Ties was a huge show with Michael J. Fox in the 80s, so he was pretty famous for that, but Back to the Future made him a star. And for the rest of the folks in here, you know, Christopher Lloyd has had a, has had a really good career, but people know him as Doc Brown. And then for Leah Thompson and Crispin Glover, especially Leah Thompson, uh, I feel like this was by far the biggest thing she ever did. And then Crispin Glover had some, some other things too, but um, again, like this is what really cemented their status and they're known as these people. And Bob Zemeckis, yes. I mean, I think he won Best Director at the Oscars for Forrest Gump, but I think Back to the Future is his best film. It's truly my favorite of his. Wait, better than Forrest Gump? Oh, yeah. You Wait, hold on. Hold on. You, you like Back to the Future more than Forrest Gump? I do. Wow. I would have never guessed that. That's you don't know how happy that makes me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Forrest Gump was something that. So my my taste in in movies and in, in everything, quite frankly, is always evolving. When I was a, when I was younger, I loved Forrest Gump. Um, it was probably in like my five favorite movies ever when I was younger, in middle school and like in high school. But now I don't even know Forrest Gump is in like my twenty favorite films if I made a list. I mean, wow. it's, a, it's a great movie. It's a, it's a great movie. But Back to the Future is, I, I don't know. It's something else. When we do Forrest Gump in a couple months or whenever it is. and you Forrest start, Gump is a great movie, but it's not, it's not Back to the Future. I'm going to call you out when you say Forrest Gump is in one of your top ten movies after you rewatch it. And you it's say, not in my top ten. It's okay. not in my top ten. Okay. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. But it's, but it's not. One of my fa- one of my all time favorites, and it's not my favorite Bob Zemeckis movie. Okay, I respect it. I I love to hear it. Um, so you know, we're talking about Zemeckis, all of his success certainly plays into this movie here. But I'm curious your thoughts on what Back to the Future's legacy is when you when we think about Back to the Future now, when we're going to continue to talk and think about it 15, 20 years from now. What's going to be stuck in our heads about this movie? For sure. A few things for me. One, uh, uh, the, the writing. 
just how freaking original and genius this concept is. You don't really, I don't want to sound like a, like an old man get off my lawn type, but you really don't see original stories like this anymore. You just the, don't the, see it nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't see it, Cotton. <laughs> but the, the, the blend of sci-fi and comedy as we were talking, but also just like wit in general, it, it's so clever, the writing. And it, it's, that really stands out for me. Um, also, the, the concept of time travel used in movies, it's been done. You know, Austin Powers did a really good job with it. I love the Austin Powers franchise. Um, well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head other movies that deal with time travel. I don't know. There are plenty. The Time Machine, I mean, that's really good too. And that was obviously made decades before this, but. Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted, yes. So thank you. great. Yeah. But I mean, I think Back to the Future is is the the apex and the pinnacle and and the greatest time travel movie ever made. When people talk about their favorite time travel movies, I, I don't know how Back to the Future doesn't come up. I you you literally took the words right off what I wrote in front of me, which is pretty nuts. The the first thing I had here is it is the time travel movie. It is. It is. It really is. It, it, no question about it. And I think it's also because of Kind of the second point, and I'll say a quote from David Kerr of the Chicago Reader, but he said, it's the perfect balance of science fiction, seriousness, and humor, mm-hmm. which we were talking about before. It never crosses the line of being too sciencey, too serious, or too funny. It's always right in the middle there, and it's perfect, and it makes time travel something fun and something that everyone can actually re- uh, not relate to, but get interested in. And so, you know, I love that about this. Also, I don't know about you, but if you're ever driving on the highway and you're going 88, something for me is a little bit, (laughs) what's going to (laughs) happen? Every time in the back of your head, you kind of think that you're going to travel back in time or to the future. There's a chance. Yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. chance. (laughs) When I'm going like 85, I'm like. Let's give it a couple more MPH. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> MPH. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so oh I mean, eighty-eight never really felt the same after watching this movie. But no, on a, on a serious note, I, I couldn't have said it any better than you did. Just the time travel movie, the ability for really the entire film. I love the films where there's never a point where you feel like you can step away because you don't really love this part. It's just the entire movie. It doesn't drag on one bit. No. The audience is there. Um, the cast is perfect. And like you said, the writing, just impeccable. Just love the subtleties that they sneak in there. And really, like I said before, anytime you watch it, you're going to pick up something new, and it's just magnificent every time. Yeah, absolutely. Like all, Like those conversations between... Marty and George about the whole confidence thing and and not being able to take rejection. That's something I just picked up on after seeing this movie for, I don't know, you mentioned you've probably seen it like 50 times. I've probably seen it like 20 times. And I'd never picked up on that before. So it, it's, it gets better and better every time you watch it. It's one of those movies. It just, it's, it, I don't know. I We've said everything we need to say. I don't have any other words. <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, I've, that. Time, I think time to watch the second and third one then. I think we got to get that on the list. 
uh, future butterless popcorn episodes on two and three. I'm not sure. We will have to <laughs> keep the viewers on their toes for that. And I didn't even mention July 2020, the month we're in right now, is the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future. I should have said that in the beginning of the episode. 35 years of this movie. It ages as well as any movie I've ever seen. It ages. Besides, be- besides the whole Biff assaulting Lorraine. Yes. Plot, plot line in there besides that everything about it is is perfect it ages just as well as christopher lloyd and uh and, and <laughs> he, ages, he ages the best <laughs> yeah. he ages the best absolutely well adam this was this was so much fun Time, an hour and a half just completely flew by um i'm gonna go hop in my delorean and see if i can go back to the 60s hang out with uh paul mccartney maybe I'll join you. I'll actually hop in my DeLorean, go back 90 minutes so we can do this again. (laughs) Sounds great. Everyone, thanks for listening to Butterless Popcorn. Make sure to tune in next time.